This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, we look forward to round one of the AFL season. Are we sure Ain't No Party Killed Nobody? What exactly is Pankratee on? And we wrap up the inaugural NBL Cup with the Perth Wildcats crowned winners. More silverware, let's go. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what did you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week is that DeChambeau is actually human. Ah, okay. So the Players' Championship took place at TPC Sawgrass in Florida over the weekend. Justin Thomas finished a shot clear of Lee Westwood for the win. A further shot back was Brian Harmon and DeChambeau. But how costly the fourth hole would prove for him. So basically, it's a 382-yard par four. Usually, he would probably attack that green, but it's guarded quite well by bunkers and a bit of water. So he's probably thought, right, we'll just lay up with a hybrid and maybe pump it about 250 down the middle. and <laughs> Just a lazy 250. Yeah, and then a, a cheeky little wedge onto the green and hopefully two putt for a par or one putt for a birdie. But next thing you know, the ball's gone basically 100 yards straight into a pond. Mm. Topped the absolute shit out of it. Now, I've topped my fair share of balls in my time playing golf, but damn, this was a bad one, <laughs> especially for a player of his caliber. I mean, it's just, it's so unusual. Rare. Yeah, no, it happens. It does. Like then, airballing a free throw. Well, yeah, geez, it does happen to the best. I've seen, yeah. Le- seen LeBron do that. Yeah, actually, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but no, then he's actually compounded it by hitting his third shot. And keep in mind, he gets a one shot penalty for going in the water. So he's absolutely shanked this one about 50 yards to the right of the green. Really, really unusual. And you're thinking, what is going on with this? And then he looks down at his club and realizes his four iron actually had a crack in it. Ooh. So he, he can kind of get away with that a little bit. But uh, is that the caddy's fault? Well, it's got to be, right? Probably a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you wouldn't really expect that, but still. Well, should be checking. Yeah. But then, you know, he's, I mean, look, he's had an amazing up and down out of the rough and managed to, to walk away with a double bogey. But that's two shots that he would have needed at the end of the tournament to mm. force a playoff. Uh. So, yeah, definitely nice to see these guys are actually human and they can shank them like the rest of us. Yes, indeed. How about yourself, Nate? So, Stewie, I thought this week I'd look at a few things on Twitter and I thought I'd concentrate on some AFL ones in particular and an NCAA one as well, obviously, with the AFL kicking off in a few days and the NCAA tournament as well, tipping off in a few days. So a number of AFL players were asked by Channel 7 what they'd be if they weren't AFL players. So there are a couple of, I guess, kind of obvious ones. Maxi Gorn said chef. Scotty Pendlebury said teacher. Brody Grundy said stay-at-home dad, which was a that's, nice that's one. That's a good one, yeah. yeah. But then there's a couple of really funny ones. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we've got here Hungry Jacks, Shay Bolton. What, he wants to be a Hungry Jacks store? <laughs> or, or work what out? would you be doing? Well, he just said Hungry Jacks. I don't know if that means working out or eating <laughs> out Hungry be- Jacks. Adam Trelaw said WWE. <laughs> <laughs> I think Toby Green would be better in that. <laughs> and look... I think it was Brody Majacek that said international spy, which is a bit of a funny one. <laughs> it is a bit, isn't it? And speaking of funny ones, <laughs> Trent Cotchin said positive well-being. <laughs> okay. Is that is that three words? Like he wants to be positive and well and a being? If or? you weren't in the AFL, what would you be doing? Positive well-being. Good answer. Okay, thanks, Trent. <laughs> what? And look, the other one I have to call bullshit on a little bit is Tommy Hawkins' accountant. Don't mm. know about that one. Landfill, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, Tomahawk. Speaking of Trelaw, by the way, his wife, Kim Revalian's teed off and was quoted saying, all those shitty lies were not the reason they got rid of him. They started to blame it on me. They were making excuses for why he's going when in actual fact, they just wanted him gone. So good on her for calling it as it is. And then finally, the one in honour of the NCAA tournament starting soon. Would you believe that this is just the second time in the history of the ACC tournament, which has been happening since 1954, that the championship game did not feature a school from the state of North Carolina? No, I wouldn't believe that. Yeah, yeah. So the ACC having a rare off year as far as NCAA tournament representation there. Gee whiz. Yep. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I've got a, a fairly shameful one this week. For all the jokes I make about the Kabaddi World Cup, you'd think I'd be all over the dates on the bloody thing. It finished about three weeks ago. Oh, without me seeing a single raid or tackle. Now I've got to wait another 11 months to get my Kabaddi on. Oh, no. So Plenty of time to research. Really, really disappointing. But, uh, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. How about yourself, Nate? 
Well, I'm actually moving house tomorrow, so I didn't see as much sport on the weekend as I would have liked, and it's probably pretty bloody mad to be recording this the day before we move, but hey, we've gone 40 without missing one. The Sport Blokes podcast never sleeps, Shuey, so yeah, we'll keep the streak going. So as a result of this, I'll be roping you into helping me dismantle tables straight after this. <laughs> so I, I did miss the AFLW match between Carlton and Freo, which was an absolute cracker. But when I heard about it, we watched the last quarter because the Dockers kicked three goals in about a minute, including Sabrina Duffy kicking two in about 40 seconds. So that was an incredible come from behind victory. And there are a few come from behind victories that we'll talk about as well throughout the course of the show. So some quick news in the tennis world, Stewie. Our old friend's at it again. Yes, old mate Novak, back up to his old tricks. Yeah. Look, we'll get the good stuff out of the way first. He's broken Roger Federer's record for most weeks at number one in the entire world, which is a hell of an achievement from a hell of a player. Best in the world, likely statistically the best of all time when all is said and done. But he celebrated in the most Novak way possible. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. He held a party in his home city of Belgrade to celebrate. Mm. A city that is getting... Three or 4,000 new cases of COVID a day. Well, they're in their third wave in Europe. It's out of control. No masks, no social distancing, no fucks given. Mm. So, yeah, basically just once again proving that he's irresponsible as a role model. Mm. And Goran Ivanisevic's coach came out and said that everyone hates him because it's racist. It comes from a place of racism. But no, we don't hate you because we don't like Serbians. We hate you because you're a fuckwit. I was going to say, is dickhead a race? Yeah. Because <laughs> if that's the case, then yes. Well, that's probably half of the population. Well, yes. Yes. Yeah. Very true. Like, could you honestly imagine Roger Federer being as arrogant as doing that in Basel or Rafael Nadal doing that on the streets of Majorca? Well, it's, it's one thing to have just done it as a once-off, but this is after the Adria stuff. And as you alluded to in the in the intro, this is after, you know, they were dancing to that song, Ain't No Party Kill Nobody. Like It has. It almost certainly it has. Really has. Yeah. Oh, God. Not good. <sighs> yes. Speaking of Roger Federer, though, good news. He's finally back on the court after a very lengthy layoff. He played a couple of matches at the Qatar Open. He knocked off Dan Evans before losing to Nikolos Basilishvili. Great name the, <laughs> from the Georgian. Uh, he, he actually won the tournament, funnily enough. So Roger showed some signs of his usual brilliance, some really nice backhand, some great volleys, that sort of thing. But ultimately, he looked like a 39-year-old coming off a serious injury. Mm. He was rusty. His movement was a bit limited. He didn't always win the big points that you would expect him to win. Look, it's nice to have him back, but I'm not sure he's going to make many deep runs in Grand Slams moving forward. We've just got to enjoy every second before he retires. Well, that's what it's like at the end, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, that's it. That's it. Have a guess at how many guys have won Grand Slams at 40. Oh, maybe one or two. Zero. Yeah, yeah. The oldest is 39. Yeah, okay. So it's not going to happen. But I will say this about Dan Evans. He had a really nice sentiment. He said, most people would probably hope he wins another Wimbledon. We'd be pretty amped if he got over the line another slam. Yeah, yeah. What an awesome thing to say about a fellow competitor. I thought that was really, really great. And I think ultimately that's the difference between guys like Federer and Nadal as opposed to Novak Djokovic. Yeah, yep. The other guys yeah. are happy to root for them if they're yeah. not playing them, basically. So, uh, And just to go back to Goran's thing, you know, sometimes it is racism, but when you play that card when it's clearly not, it just makes him hate it even more. Just pull your head in, Novak. Yeah. 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 And then one last little thing to close this out. We've actually seen the first official changing of the guard take place. So Daniel Medvedev's officially the world number two. He's gone past Rafael Nadal. And he's actually become the first player who isn't Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, or Andy Murray to be in the top two since Leighton Hewitt in July 2005. Yeah, crazy. Medvedev was nine years old at the time. Yeah. That's how far back it was. Yeah. Uh, He's got the skill. He's got the temperament to be number one. As I said a couple of weeks ago, he does need to come up with some sort of a volley game if he's going to be successful. But yeah, I think we could see Medvedev, Dominic Tiem, Stefano Tsitsipas, and maybe a mixture of either Alex Zverev, Andre Rublev, or a number of others create this kind of new big four. And I'm I'm excited about it because mm. it has been a long time since we've had diversity in people winning these Grand Slams. So. And we want a changing of the guard too. You know, we don't want mediocrity. We no. want some more new breed of legends. Speaking of changing of the guard, would you believe that Coco Goff turned 17 last week? Happy birthday, Coco. She's got a long, good career ahead of her too. Well, she's anything like the Williams sisters. She's yeah. probably got a good 22, 23 years left. Yeah, so yeah. Yep. Hopefully, she'll, uh, yeah, hopefully she'll win a couple of slams in her time. I'm sure she will. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week takes us all the way back to ancient Greece and a sport called Pancrateon, 
Now, this was a brutal Olympic sport. Two men would basically face off in a fight with very few rules. And the very only, little clothing. And Well, yes, very, very little clothing. <laughs> the only rules were that the fighters could not bite, gouge, or attack each other's dicks. It's pretty fair. fair yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anything else was fair game. So the aim of the match was to beat up your opponent until they submitted. Pretty simple. During one of the ancient Olympics, a fighter by the name of Arichion won the Pancration contest in a rather unusual way. He found himself in a pretty rough spot being held in a chokehold by his competitor. Now, Arichion managed to reach down to his opponent's leg and actually broke the other fighter's ankle. Ouch. Mm. Not surprisingly, this made the other fighter submit, which is, which is great for him, and Arichion was victorious. But? Slight problem, though. <laughs> it was only then that the judges actually realised that Arichion had actually been suffocated to death during the chokehold, so he's passed away. That's oh, crazy. However... Arikion's corpse was still given the victor's crown and paraded through the streets in celebration, kind of like this whole weekend at Bernie's feel. <laughs> weekend at Arikion's. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Oh man, it it just it screams ancient Europe. It really does. The fact that they would do that. <laughs> there are absolutely countless ridiculous stories throughout the ancient and modern Olympics to the point where we've actually decided we're going to put together a special on some of these bizarre occurrences over the centuries and we'll probably release that down the track when we have a week off. Indeed. But for literally giving it his all for victory, all I can say is, Amatiri Kolasi, bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Stewie, I mentioned that what caught my attention this week was stuff on Twitter. There was actually another thing that caught my attention on Twitter this week. There was a tweeter by the name of Ginger, and shout out if you're listening, who basically questioned our title sport blokes for riding off the Wildcats. Can't really blame them. <laughs> really? So I think, look, I think part of it's head versus heart. I think in my heart, I think the Wildcats can win every year. But, it, you know, looking at the teams on paper, knowing Nick K went, and I guess maybe trying not to be too biased towards our hometown team as well is partly why I picked the Wildcats out of the playoffs. But, uh, well, after that magnificent NBL Cup win, after only dropping one game in the whole tournament, that's looking like a pretty bad prediction. I'm going to quickly go back to that for a second. My reason for picking them as low as I did was because I wasn't sure what Todd Blanchfield would get. Yeah, well, that's fair. I think no, I think it wasn't that unreasonable a prediction. There were a lot of people out there. A lot of the prognosticators had the Wildcats out of the playoffs. But to Andrew Gaze's credit, he said, "Don't pick against the Wildcats until they finally lose." <laughs> so maybe we should have followed that. But Nick K was so good last year. He was. Yeah. You know what? We'll take it, Jim. Well, no, we will. We will. We'll, we will. We well, will happily be wrong hey, on that one. Yeah, uh, we're happy to admit when we're wrong. Absolutely. And this is one we're very, very. And happy let's to face it, tipping is a fool's errand, isn't it? You it know, is. It's never easy. It is. So what were your thoughts? The, the NBL Cup is over. Well, it was a magnificent performance by the Wildcats. Seven wins, just that one loss to the Red Hot Brisbane. Could have easily been two losses, but they had that incredible come-from-behind win against Adelaide. And by then, the Cup was already wrapped up. But they came back from 26 points down at one stage to win by, I think it was nine Nine, or yeah. Far out. What a turnaround. Incredible. Yeah, that was just... It was superb. I mean, oh, it, was, it really it was. was it was a great team effort. The defense picked up dramatically in that game, and you're right to have one foot on the plane already after those great introductions from the family members. Did you see those prior to the yeah. game? They were fantastic. Yeah, that was good. Especially Clint Steindl's one. That was fantastic. Oh, I, like, I like Clint. He's it, it, well, he's great. a good bloke. But no, I, I mean, the whole cup in general. Look, I still don't like the idea of the quarters thing, but I'm glad that. Our good mate Alex Loughton was right. That yes, it didn't, yes. didn't really come into play. Yeah, yeah. Although, it, I'll tell you what, that second last game, a lot of the Wildcat starters were played longer than they would have been playing if against New Zealand. Mm. If that had just been a normal game, they would have got more rest, I reckon. And it actually did cost the Brisbane Bullets $50,000 because the uh, South East Melbourne Phoenix managed to get up into second place by one quarter. Yeah, yeah, yep. But... Thankfully, it didn't cost someone, you know, the overall cup. It didn't cost somebody third and fourth. It yeah. was it was just those sort of minor places, I guess. And, yeah, look, it seems as though for teams like the Wildcats and the Brisbane Bullets, this was the trip that galvanised them. Yes, absolutely. And unfortunately for New Zealand, Adelaide and Cairns, they were pretty much broken by the trip. So it's it's kind of set up this really interesting season. It looks like the Taipans and Breakers are pretty much all but done, unfortunately. They've got four wins yeah. and a lot of losses. Yeah, it's going to be very hard to come back from there when there's only four playoff spots and a lot of good teams. Yeah. 
Illawarra, Melbourne United, a little bit disappointing four and four records during those eight games. Yeah, I mean, Chris Goulding never played for Melbourne, so that's probably why they dropped at least two of those four. Well, Scotty Hobson and Jack White missed Well, that games. too, of course. And Illy, yeah, they had a lot of guys out, actually. Udo Barber didn't play yeah, against yeah. Illawarra so their depth as well. Is very good. So, and the other thing as well with Illawarra is that they actually won three of their last four. So they kind of trending up, whereas Melbourne United trending down. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of all over the place. But I love the way that this has kind of set up the rest of the season now. You've got two wins separating Perth and Illawarra in second and third with Sydney and Adelaide in sixth and seventh. Yeah. Yep. So we've got a little bit of a log jam. Now, the Wildcats only have four losses, whereas Illawarra have six. So the Cats do have a little bit of space or a bit of a buffer. Yeah, a bit of buffer zone. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Brisbane and Southeast Melbourne have made some big moves, which we'll talk about in a second. Mm. So there's a whole lot of great stuff coming up in this second half. Who knows where it's going to end, but I'm very, very happy with how the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> no. Well, no. look, it was sponsored by the Victorian government. It, it wouldn't it have was. happened. And and we've got COVID issues in Brisbane at the moment and potentially Sydney too. So I think it was good that they got a lot of the games under the belt early if they might have to cancel some at the back end. So I, I do think it was useful. And that was always one of the ticks I gave it. Mm. Yeah. But I do have a feeling I probably would still hate the cup if the Wildcats had finished two and six <laughs> instead of seven and uh, one. I mean, winners are grinners. Yeah. But uh, no, definitely look, hats off to the NBL, hats off to the Victorian government. They put on a really great spectacle. And it was kind of funny. I was looking at KO today and sort of thinking, where's all the NBL? Like, yeah, there's no, there's yeah, no games. yeah, you got used to it. Hey? He does. It feels yeah. weird now not having games on every single night. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, certainly got used to those double headers on a Tuesday. But uh, look, yeah, it was a it was a roaring success. And obviously, you know, certainly as a Wildcats fan, thankfully no injuries for us and, and very minimal. Well, there's been a lot of talk about the injuries, but they, I don't think they can be attributed to the cup. Like Chris Goulding happened before the cup. I think I think Hobson's was before the cup. Lamar Patterson, well, he was just out of shape. So mm. he, that was always going to happen. So I think even the pacing of the games wasn't so bad. It, look, clearly it's going to be something that they're going to have again. The question is, where in the season do you have it? I am almost wondering if it should kick off the season. Yeah, I'm kind of against that just purely because obviously as someone who is interstate from Yeah, the home Melbourne, team would get an advantage here. Yeah. It certainly yeah. would give the Phoenix and Melbourne United teams a... Well, a, that's assuming if it's in the same state every year. True. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, if they yeah. had it in you know Queensland or New Maybe South Maybe it Wales, should be in the middle. Alice Springs. The middle of the season. Oh, middle of the season. <laughs> hey, well, I'm not opposed to Alice Springs if they want to put it there. So if you get the crowds there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Completely missed that. Uh, that's all right. So we've got a few transactions to talk about. Yeah, we do. We do. Now, I called it last week. The New Zealand Breakers have indeed made the call on Lamar Patterson. They've severed ties with him. Brisbane Bullets also got rid of Orlando Johnson at about the same time. He never really worked out. And And here's where it gets weird. So Lamar Patterson's back in Brisbane. Back in Brisbane as a bullet. Yeah. As an injured bullet. Yeah. Like, very bizarre. It it is. I mean, I I suppose he's been out for a while with a knee injury. He's pretty much ready to get back on the court now. It's not a bad move. I mean, if it works for them, then there's obviously a really high upside to this one. He's got a little bit of time to get back into the groove of Brisbane, and, and they're a good chance of contending for a title this year. I didn't actually realise he was ready to step on the court again. That does change things. He's pretty close. I thought if he was going to sit for two weeks or something, yeah, then he could potentially lose three games. Yeah, there's time. no point. But, yeah. but no, I definitely like this move from Brisbane. I think it definitely gives them a lot of extra punch. Now, obviously, he hasn't had a great season. It could just be that it's the system that he's not fitting in well with. Who knows if he'll fit back in with the Brisbane side. That is, is this a, a nanny pick, Stewie? A nanny pick? He had style. He had flair. He was there. Oh, right. Like, if, if it doesn't work out, like he happened to be in the country, right? If it doesn't work out, they can keep looking for someone else. I was like, where the fuck are you going And just this? have him on rental for a few weeks. Yeah, well, that's, that's a very... Nanny pick. That's, <laughs> Sorry. That's a cracker. No, that just, no, I just pulled that one out of no, my head. No, no, no. That's good. <laughs> Now, going back to New Zealand, they've signed Levi Randolph from the Cleveland Cavaliers G League affiliate, the Canton Charge. I like the look of this guy. I had a look at some of his highlights. He reminds me a little bit of a poor man's Bradley Beal. Okay. Well, they'd be happy with or that. Or maybe a poor man's poor man's Bradley Beal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even so. Even so. Yeah. Career 40% three-point shooter, pretty decent mid-range game, finishes well through contact, which is something that he's improved on since he came out of college. I'm not sure if he'll help them all that much defensively, but... For a team in the Breakers who are dead last in scoring, he's going to do what they need, which yeah, is score. Yeah. They're a long way short of the playoffs at the moment. You never know. They need kind of one of these miracle finishes where they just go on an absolute tear, but you, you just never know. 
You never know. You never, as you said, there's a log jam of spots and you've just got to hit form at the right time. The other, speaking of NBA players hitting the NBL, Brandon Paul had an excellent debut for Adelaide. He was one of the few shining lights in the end after they got out to that huge lead. Thankfully, he cooled off in the second half a little bit because he was looking very dangerous in that first half. What I liked about him, though, was his passion. Like, he, he wanted to win and he was arguing with the refs and taking it all very seriously. So I think they've picked up a very good player in Paul. They definitely have. Just going back to New Zealand quickly, they've also signed Jeremy Kendall, who was released from the Adelaide 36ers, and William McDowell-White has come back into Australia and gone straight back over the test to New Zealand. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a couple of guys there that are you know pretty decent players. McDowell-White is an injury replacement for Corey Webster, though, who's going to be out for four weeks. So uh, yes, okay. I dare say New Zealand probably still, they just can't make it. It's- Finn Delaney can't do it all. No, well, I love Finn Delaney. He's got such a smooth hook too. He's, he's an exciting does. young player. I love watching him play. We haven't even mentioned the crazy fadeaway three that Tom oh, Abercrombie Oh, yes, had. Tom Abercrombie. Yeah, that was nuts. Yeah. That was nuts. It was a horrible game. So you tipped me off to that one. And so I watched the whole game and I'm thinking, oh, geez, okay, what's all this about? Have, I, then, have I sent you the wrong game? Uh, but then that last minute was nuts where they were just trading huge shots and then it was punctuated by that Tom Abercrombie fadeaway. That was magnificent. Yeah, I probably should have just told you to watch the full game. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's all right. That's you know, all right. That's all good. Now, Southeast Melbourne, they're a very interesting team right now. So... The, oh yeah. The good yeah. the good news first. They've signed Ryan Brockhoff officially, which is probably the worst kept secret in the league. They've eased him into the lineup. I think he only played nine minutes in the first game, but they are gonna need him. We've oh big time. We've buried the lead here. I always yeah. wanted to say that. Yeah. <laughs> you can this time. <laughs> Look, unfortunately, Mitch Creek, their yeah. leading scorer and rebounder, has been charged with intentionally causing injury and other offenses after allegedly assaulting a woman at her Melbourne apartment. We're not ones to talk about things in front of the court very much, so we won't, uh, the court of law, that is, rather than the basketball court. We won't speculate on it. So, yeah, we won't go any further with that. But, yeah, that's, I mean, that is a massive out for them and they couldn't need broke off more, could they? Well, Creek isn't allowed to play or even train with the team for the foreseeable future. But I did want to finish on a slightly lighter note. How did we not notice that the Phoenix have a player on their team called Mike Carina? (laughs) Hey, Mike Carina! (laughs) Do you know I had that fucking song stuck in my head during a year 10 maths exam? Oh, dear. The whole time. Oh, dear. And as you know, maths was not my favourite subject. No, it was not. That was not a fun two hours. No. I would have loved that. (laughs) Two hours of maths and the Macarena. (laughs) Oh, that's a party. Oh, dear. Now, Stu, I keep coming back to Twitter. As you know, there's been a lot of talk about the decals on the court causing slippage and being a real pain in the ass. Whoever runs the NBL store's Twitter account in their infinite wisdom decided to put a picture of a banana peel. <laughs> like official account, guys. <sighs> Apparently players were instructed not to speak about it publicly by the league, which is a little bit authoritarian and a bit dodgy in its own right. And so then the bloody NBL store go out and tweet it. Like the league must have, they must have been spewing about that. Did they have like a Mario Kart character going over like, oh, No, it's just a giant banana with a peel. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's poor form. Unappealing. (laughs) So, Nath, you finished the show last week by saying you were excited about March Madness, baby. Uh, Yes, and I got it wrong too. I said I've been waiting a year, but we've been waiting two Two, years, of course, because the shit hit the fan with COVID and it never went ahead. And it's funny, actually, there's been a lot of stories on ESPN lately about kind of March 1 and when America actually started to take it a little bit seriously in like some of, regards. official March madness. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. And it's really interesting. There was footage of someone, I, can't, I wish I could remember who it was. I don't think it was Jay Billis. But someone's like, what? That game tipped in the Big East tournament? Like, everything else had been cancelled and this game was being played and they actually called it at half time. So, yeah, so, so last season was crazy. The NCAA tournament was first held in 1939, so it's been going on for quite a while. And traditionally in America, productivity drops every year during the tourney because everyone gets so focused on what's going on. And even people who aren't fans like playing bracket challenges and tourney brackets, bracketology. Have you ever done a bracket before? No. I've done a few over the years. I haven't done one this year. I haven't seen as much as I would have liked. But there was a period there where I watched more college ball than any other basketball because there was no NBL on free-to-air and Foxtel didn't have any NBA. Do you remember those horrible, that horrible period in the late 90s, early 2000s where all we got was college basketball on yep. anything? That was painful. Yeah, so, so I watched a lot of college ball and I love it. It's one of my favourite sporting events of the entire year. 
So the first bracket was actually done by a group of 88 people in Staten Island in 1977. And since then, it's just turned into this great big game. And as I say, America loses productivity because everyone's rooting for their college and rooting against one another and trying to win millions picking the bracket. So get this. No one has ever picked a perfect bracket. So that's all 64 teams. No one ever will. And this is and this is why the odds of getting every game right prior to first tip is one in 9.2 quintillion. So we think about seven figures, which is a million. A quintillion is a 19-figure number. And apparently, I saw an NCAA video today, you'd actually have better odds of picking one particular grain of sand if every single grain of sand in the entire earth was numbered and you plucked one from the air. You'd have a better chance of guessing that than picking a correct bracket. Wow. Some other crazy bracket stuff. So according to the NCAA website, over the many years of brackets that they've had submitted and they've studied, so nearly a decade's worth, other news organisations and sports organisations have been doing it for longer, but it was the NCAA one I saw today. The average user gets approximately two-thirds correct. The best ever in the eight years they've been running was 55 out of 63 games. And one bloke got his first 49 right... And he wasn't even one of the people that got to 55. Wow. So it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Very difficult thing indeed. So Gonzaga are the number one team. They're undefeated 26-0. and 0. They'll be playing the winner of Norfolk State and Appalachian State. I've actually got Gonzaga winning the whole thing. They're very hard to go past. I mean, their offense is absolutely sensational. Number one in the nation. I think it's about 92.3 points a game, which is a lot for college ball. Jalen Suggs, he's a consensus top two or three pick in the NBA next year. Corey Kispert's easily going to be a lottery pick, I would imagine. Six foot seven, great stroke, really quick release. Next year's Tyler Hero, I'm calling. Yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so NBADraft.net currently has Jalen Suggs at three and Corey Kispert at 10. Yep. So that's that's where they're projected. And, and and well, while we're on that, if for those that are interested in kind of the NBA prospects, Cade Cunningham is the consensus number one pick. Some people are saying he's the best number one pick since LeBron James. I which agree. Is yeah. Huge. He plays for Oklahoma State. They'll be playing Liberty in the 413 matchup in the Midwest region. For the record, this is why I wanted OKC to tank really hard this year because I wanted, oh, yeah. I wanted as many chances as possible to get that guy. Yeah, not gonna happen, mate. <sighs> Houston will be getting their own pick, I suggest. Yeah, I think so. Evan Mobley of USC is currently projected at number two, so he's one to watch. Scotty Barnes of Florida State predicted at six. Moses Moody of Arkansas predicted at seven. I actually saw a bit of him on the weekend. He looked he looked pretty good. Uh, Keon Johnson of Tennessee projected at nine, and as I mentioned, Corey Kispert is projected at ten. And Jonathan Kaminga is still at five? Jonathan Kaminga is hovering around, yeah, four or five. Yeah, there's a couple of development league guys that are in the top ten. It's so hard to know what he's going to be. He could easily be a Kevin Garnett or he could easily be a Kwame Brown. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah. So this tournament's a bit funny. Teams have to have had seven consecutive days of COVID-free tests to even be able to turn up to the tournament. Duke had their problems. They actually had to drop out of the ACC tournament because of COVID. Now, look, I don't think they would have made the NCAA tournament anyway because they had a really poor season, but that kind of screwed up their season. So there's actually a couple of teams waiting in the wings. So teams can actually get subbed out and the seating won't change. So it's wow. it's very chaotic. However, that cuts off, I think, Wednesday morning Australia time. So that cuts off tomorrow. So if there's no teams that officially drop out, then the sub teams can't come in. Okay, so it's just with the first round then, sorry. However, however, if there is a case after that period, a team will get a free hit and they'll have basically a buy in round one and get straight into round two. And Virginia, the defending champions, now obviously we had no champion last year, but they're defending champions, they are in a bit of trouble. So their opponent, Ohio, has a good chance of just getting a straight birth into the second round, which would be very good because Virginia are a bloody good team and they're not, they're not one they want to face. So it's just some general notes. There seems to be general consensus on all four number ones in the different regions. As I mentioned, Ohio could be considered the luckiest team if Virginia have more positives. And the other thing is Virginia haven't been able to practice while they're in quarantine. So even if they don't have another positive, they'll be really underdone. So Ohio are very lucky. The biggest snubs, well, potentially it's Louisville. There's not a lot of talk about snubs. So I listened to a number of the experts, the CBS guys and Jonathan Katz. Louisville tends to be mentioned of as maybe the biggest snub. Uh, The interesting thing there is Coach Cal, his team Iona, they got in as the ninth seed in the MAC tournament. 
they got a berth in the NCAA tournament. So his old team, Louisville, and his other old team, Kentucky, aren't in the tournament. But this kind of, you know, lowly upstart team, Iona, is in the tournament. So we all know how important Coach Calipari is. He's a pretty <laughs> pretty successful coach. But there doesn't seem to be too many more snubs. It's mainly just gripes with seeding. So, for example, how the hell did Colorado get a higher seed than USC when they beat them three times this season? Loyola Chicago is considered to be maybe disrespected a bit as a mid-major team. And one of the interesting points the guys made on the CBS podcast today was it actually also kind of affects their opponent. So Georgia Tech have probably got a better team than they should have got because Loyola Chicago haven't been respected enough. So that's interesting. And of course, Loyola Chicago, they were that Cinderella team. Exactly. When was it 2018? Uh, I think it was three years ago. It might have been 19, I think. Yeah. It might, 18 or 19. 18 or 19. Yeah. yeah, I remember yeah. they had yeah. a number of last second either game winners or shots that rolled off from their opposition that could have easily knocked them out. And they, they were... And do you remember their good luck charm, the nun uh, sister Jean? No, I didn't. She is now 101 and will be watching again and Bring being a big part of the coverage once again. Yeah, so they, they are one of the teams that a lot of people are rooting for, yeah. And if you're a fan of upsets, Jay Billis says, look no further than the West region. And speaking of upsets, Patrick Ewing, his Georgetown team, now many of them picked them to finish bottom of the Big East. They actually made the tournament, I think it was out of eighth or ninth seed, out of the Big East tournament. So hats off to them. Mm. Very well done to them. And uh, Patrick Ewing, did you hear his diatribe at Madison Square Garden where he kept getting asked for ID? I did hear about it. How, <laughs> how do you not know the most famous Nick of the last 40 years? And one of them of all time, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, is that not my jersey hanging in the rafters? Yeah, yeah, there's my ID up yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Although it's got to be said, if there was a security guard that say, what, 25, that means they would have been five when... And, and just know, because they're working at Madison Square Garden doesn't, doesn't mean, mean they, they know basketball. basketball. Exactly. exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, but uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big dent on his, uh, on his, his ego, ego. Yeah. And by the way, speaking of security guards, Stuart, you spotted something today as well. Yeah, so it all happened after the game between St. Bonaventure and VCU. So St. Bonaventure actually sealed their spot in the tournament for just the eighth time ever. And there's a lot of celebrating going on after the game. And one of these photographers has basically come onto the court trying to take some photos and some videos of the guys celebrating. And one of the security guards did not take too kindly at all, basically put him into a chokehold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar to what we heard in the bloody hell before. Yeah, basically. Um, luckily, this guy didn't break his ankle. But <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of people saying, you know, there's no need to go quite as hard on that. He's not a big guy that you're putting into this chokehold. Uh, we wouldn't be the first security guard to uh, use too much force, would he? No, exactly right. And uh, the other thing as well is that he wasn't even wearing his mask properly. Yeah, I did so say that. Yeah. really poor form. Yeah. The look on that guy's face was downright scary. Yeah, yeah. Like, he looked like he yeah, was possessed. Yeah, that was not good not at all. Not good. Yeah, so St. Bonaventure won a bid as a tournament champion. So half of the bids are by virtue of the conference tournaments. And then there's the things called at-large bids based on teams' records. A couple of things you can always bank on in the NCAA tournament. There's always a 5-12 upset. So the, the 12th seed beating a 5 seed. Well, I'm actually going to go one step further. My bold prediction, and it's very bold because there's absolutely no reason for me to predict this, <laughs> the two-seed Ohio State, I've got them getting rolled in the first round by 15-seed Oral Roberts. Okay, you just like the name Oral Roberts, I don't do you? Because Andy Katz have them going to the Final Four. So, <laughs> Really? Yeah. Wow. I don't know if they'll go quite that far. They'll probably get knocked out in the second well, they, round. They, they, through, they took Illinois to the end in their tournament final. And Illinois are possibly the second or third best team in the country. So Ohio State are a sneaky, actually. they got nothing on Oral Roberts, though. <laughs> and speaking of Cinderella teams or upsets, in modern history, there's nearly always an 11th seed that makes the final four. It's happened in eight of the last 10 tournaments. Well, that Loyola Chicago team we were talking about from 2018, they were there 11th seed. There you go. Seed. There you go. And there's been some crazy runs. I don't know if a George Mason was uh, 11th seed or they might have been 12th seed, but they had a really strong run one year as well. A couple of other things you can bank on. There'll be a legitimate bolter up the draft board, someone that'll come from nowhere. And on the flip side of that, there will always be blokes in the championship game who get drafted higher than they deserve. Now, I know it's a bit outdated now, but this was kind of in the golden age of my tournament watching. Think Sheldon Williams or Sean May. As a, as a teen, early 20, I thought, how the fuck did those guys get drafted that high? If I can tell it, why can't these GMs tell it? But they get inflated because they win the championship or they at least make the championship game. So, What did Sean May have like 
three, four years in the league. Oh, if that. And Sheldon Williams' greatest achievement is marrying Candace Parker. True. That, which so, is a very good achievement. Yeah, they, well, they have very good DNA. That's like, They'll produce yeah. some pretty good basketball games. It's like the equivalent of winning MVP, really. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, another one that I thought, Adam Morrison was another Adam one. Morrison, great example, yeah, for you Gonzaga, know, funnily enough. I think yeah. was he a three, number three uh, pick in the draft and yep. was out of the league two and, years And ago. another Charlotte pick too, like Sean May. So, yeah, they've had a couple of misses. They've yeah. had a lot of misses yeah, over yeah. the years. Let's yeah, Ray fair. Felton. I, I actually quite like Ray Felton, but his career didn't turn out to be as good as yeah. it could have been. So... Yeah, there'll always be a few of them. We could too. spend an hour going over all of these. We sure could. But yeah, look, Gonzaga's a decent pick, Stewie. They actually won their last 11 last season going into the last tournament. So they're in red hot form. Mm. Now, Stewie, it wouldn't be a sport bloke episode without a bit of NBA. There's always got to be a bit. I mean, there's always <laughs> something going on. So I wanted to start with Lonzo Ball. Yes. So, look, we've got to give a massive shout out to Lonzo. His brother, Lamelo, understandably getting all the attention right now. And I'll, I'll explain to you very quickly why. He's leading all rookies in scoring. Anthony Edwards is very rapidly closing that gap, though. He's had some big games in the last couple of days. He's leading all rookies in rebounds. He's leading all rookies in assists. He's leading all rookies in steals, triple doubles, double doubles. And he's just great to watch. That little head fake spin three was magnificent the other day. Yeah, he's an absolute highlight machine. Yeah. Earlier in the season, he became just the third rookie to hit seven or more threes and drop 10 or more assists in a game, joining Steph Curry and Jason Kidd, who are two, Pretty good company. two Hall of Fame locks, let's yep. be fair. Yep. Also the third player, 19 or under, with multiple 20.10 rebound, five assist games, joining LeBron James and Luka Doncic, mm. another two Hall of Fame oh, yeah. locks. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, probably. Oh, absolutely. Well, injuries happen. No, not no. Well, we, no, no, well, don't. He's going to make it. Well, I hope so. But we thought that about Sean Kemp. He'll make it. Well, I hope so. Well, bloody Chris Bosch is looking like he'll get in, and he was injury riddled. So, uh, well, yeah, Bosch won championships. LeBron won championships. Well, Bosch helped a bit. Grab that rebound in game six. <laughs> you did. That's, that's very, <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. You're going to re-traumatize. Touche. <laughs> but no, look. Going back to Lamelo. Obviously, I'm more than happy. Like so many others out there, put my hand up and say I was wrong about him. That's I'm so happy for him. It is the episode to be doing that. It definitely. is. Yeah. It is. But I'm loving how good Lonzo is looking this season. His points are up by two and a half on last season. His turnovers are down. Most importantly, though, he's found his shot. Mm. That is a big thing. Until this season, he'd never shot more than 57% from the free throw line. He's now shooting nearly 77 this season. So up 20%. Yeah, points. well, he's got that horrible action, doesn't he? He, he does, but it's getting yeah. better. But there's no slapper ball, which I assume is the Lonzo equivalent of Hackershack. <laughs> But I saw a tweet that actually said that Lonzo Ball has more three-point makes this season than Trey Young. I nearly fell off my chair when you told me that. Trey Young. Yeah, yeah. So I checked it out, and it's not even close. He's like 15 ahead of him at the moment. Incidentally, here are some of the other names that have made that list as guys that have hit more threes than Trey Young. Gary Trent Jr. Mm. Paddy Mills. Having a great season, but yeah, off the bench, so it is a bit surprising. Norman Powell. Wow, okay. Tim Hardaway Jr. And Nikola Vucevic. Now that. Vucevic is making three a game. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, for someone like Trey Young, who hangs his hat as being a franchise player and shoots a lot of threes and makes a lot of threes, he's only 20th in the league trailing these guys who are mostly bench players or a center in Vucevic's case. Yeah. It doesn't bode well. That's kind of why Atlanta is struggling. Do you know what, though? 5-0 and since Nate McMillan took over as coach. Are they really? Yeah. Jeez, that's kind of cracked yeah, up a little yeah. bit. Yeah, so... What, what, what turned did, out to be a pretty good change. What did we know about Lloyd Pierce? Yeah, yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, back to the Pelicans. Now, okay, they're probably looking at a play-in game as a best-case scenario. It's a very stacked Western Conference. Oh, they're yeah. probably going to struggle to get in. But they're three games better off than they were at this stage last season, and Lonzo is a huge part of that. So it's nice to see him coming along finally and, and becoming the player that a lot of people thought he could be out of, out of UCLA. And they're one of those exciting teams. People want to see Zion Williamson in the playoffs. So It's good for the league. Yeah. Now, LaMarcus Aldridge. Look, he's officially done with the Spurs. He is now sitting on the bench. He's not playing. It seems that San Antonio want to try and trade him, but there's not many teams that could really send the Spurs much for a 35-year-old who's making $24 million. Who... Well, he is expiring, so there's value in that. There is, but he's lost his step defensively. He's not anywhere near the player he used to be, so it's going to have to be someone who's really trying to trying to tank hard and, and drop salary. Well, Bill Simmons threw out Kevin Love as a potential. 
That's not a not a bad trade, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about I it mean, as a Spurs fan, but yeah, it's interesting. Is Love kind of just the same player though? A guy who's well getting towards his mid thirties has lost a step. Pretty close to yeah. yeah. I, I heard a possibility of Kelly Olynyk and Myers Leonard. Yeah, poo poo platter. <laughs> well, I mean Leonard's in the shits for that slurry used yeah, against the yeah. Jewish folk last week. I think they might have to buy him out. Oh, look, that's what I anticipated. So, you know, I was right about him not playing again. Let's see if I'm right about the buyer. Mm. Now, moving on to a player that I tell you what, not many people were right on, Alexi Pokashevsky. So a lot of people saw him come in and struggle, myself included as an OKC fan, and were very happy when he went down to the G League. But I tell you what, he's come back up and played a couple of absolutely cracking games for the Thunder. And I tell you what, the Thunder have now had a better last 10 games than the Utah Jazz, the LA Clippers, and the LA Lakers. You can kiss that pick goodbye, Stewie. Yeah, tell me about it. I yeah. kissed it goodbye earlier yeah, in the season gone. anyway. It's gone. But yeah, look, I thought he was going to spend the whole season down in the G League. And yesterday, he had 23 points and 10 rebounds, in the process breaking a Thunder record for the youngest player to score 20 or more in a game. Not Kevin Durant, not Russell Westbrook. Yeah, well, maybe he's ahead of the curve. Not right? James Harden. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's great also became the second youngest player in NBA history with five three-pointers in a game, trailing only LeBron James. Mm. Not bad for a guy with averages of five and four who now shoots 22% from deep. So he could be a man on the rise. Oh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> and just to top off the NBA, Stewie, I thought I'd follow my Twitter theme. Colin Sexton of the Cleveland Cavaliers liked to tweet that said Kevin Love was stealing $120 million of Cleveland's money. Oh, shit. Yes. Yes, friendly fire. I mean, he's right, but <laughs> That's your teammate. Wow. Yeah. Can he blame that on a burner account? Or he's going to have to try and find a way out of that. That's going to be an awkward locker room. Wow. And now, this week in sport history. March 17th, 1955, the day known as the Richard Riot. Well, better than the Dick Riot. Well, she wasn't much better, to be honest. It's probably actually the Richard riot because it's a French-Canadian guy. So Montreal Canadiens player Maurice Richard is suspended for the remainder of the season, including playoffs, following a violent altercation on the 13th of March. During that game, Richard was high-sticked to the face by Hal Laco of the Boston Bruins, which split him open. Richard retaliated by hitting him in the face, shoulders, and body with his stick. Linesman Cliff Thompson then intervened, and Richard punched him in the face twice knocking him unconscious. Mm. NHL President Clarence Campbell actually appeared at the Montreal Forum the same day for a game between the Canadians and Detroit Red Wings. Very ballsy move, I must say, (laughs) after you've just suspended their best player for the season. (laughs) He was pelted with eggs, vegetables, and other debris for about six minutes straight before a fan actually managed to get past the security and slapped and punched Campbell in the face. Wow. Not long after that, a tear gas bomb was set off near Campbell and the game, not surprisingly, was suspended and the whole stadium was evacuated. Riots broke out in downtown Montreal. People were injured. Over 100 were arrested and the equivalent of nearly a million dollars damage by current exchange rate. The following morning, Richard actually went on the radio to ask the citizens to stop vandalising the city. Montreal lost the Stanley Cup 4-3 to Detroit, but don't feel too bad for them. They've won it 24 times. Yes. (laughs) Nearly double the amount of second-place Toronto. Wow. Now, Stewie, we've mentioned a lot of Wilt Chamberlain's ridiculous feats in recent weeks, but if this one is true, it might be the most impressive of the entire lot. March 18, 1968, the Philadelphia Warriors beat the LA Lakers 158-128 to behind 53 points, 32 rebounds and 14 assists from Chamberlain. But remember that the NBA didn't record blocks or steals at that stage, so it has to only be alleged that Wilt also had 24 blocks and 11 steals in the game, which would make it the only quintuple double in the history of the league, as well as tying the NBA record for steals in a game and smashing the single game's blocks record. Sometimes stats are linked to Wilt that have been slightly exaggerated, you know. um... Well, like the fact that he said he could bench press about 270 kilos or that he had sex with over 20,000 women. Well, Bill Simmons's comments about the sex with women thing is interesting in the book of basketball. I won't go any further there. But but I almost feel like how dominant Wilt is, that these stats are possible. The blocks, definitely. Yeah. It feels like the steals are an interesting one. I, I would love to see the video of this game just to see if it actually happened. But it's if that is true, that is the single greatest stat line in the history of the league. Hard to argue. It really is. 
March 19th, 1892, the three brothers Hearn, Alec, George and Frank all play in the same test between England and South Africa in Cape Town, which England won by an innings and 189 runs. Now, this has happened a few times over the years with William Edward and Fred Grace playing for England in 1880 and Hanif Mushtaq and Sadiq Muhammad for Pakistan in 69-70. But what makes this so unusual is that Alec and George were playing for England and Frank was playing for South Africa. (laughs) On top of that, their cousin Jack was also playing for England, yet somehow with Frank and Jack bowling, there were no instances of a Hearn being dismissed by another Hearn. Something like that did actually happen, though, in a championship match in 1933 when Harry Lee was caught by Frank Lee off the bowling of Jack Lee for 82 in a match between Somerset and Middlesex. Mm. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Why would you name your son Frank when your surname was Lee? Quite frankly, that's an interesting choice. (laughs) I'd never thought about that. (laughs) And I did also see a cracker from a couple of years ago where Lancashire's Matt Parkinson trapped his identical brother Callum in front, LBW, while he was playing for Leicestershire, only for Callum to then trap Matt in front, LBW, in Lancashire's reply. Isn't that nuts? Sweet revenge. Mark Cosgrove actually played in that game. Ah, Cosy. Do you know he's younger than us? Is he? How old does that make you feel? He's fatter than us, though. So, you know. <laughs> Only just for me. <laughs> I'm, ca- I'm catching him, I'll tell you that much. I, that actually uh, blew me away that he's a year younger yeah, than us. Yeah, right. Wow. Okay. Oh, jeez. March 19th, 1991. After being awarded the 1993 Super Bowl the previous year, NFL owners stripped Tempe, a city bordering Phoenix, of the Super Bowl due to Arizona not recognizing Martin Luther King Day. In 1983, the holiday to recognize the work of Dr. King was brought in by Ronald Reagan, but new Arizona governor Evan Meacham rescinded the order for the state to recognize the holiday, saying that King did not deserve a holiday and that black supporters of the law should have been more concerned about getting jobs. So basically a racist prick. Hmm. This game was moved to Pasadena near Los Angeles with the Dallas Cowboys destroying the Buffalo Bills 52 to 17 in the third most lopsided Super Bowl ever. Arizona started recognizing Martin Luther King Day in 1992, and Tempe was awarded Super Bowl 30 in 1996, funnily enough, also won by the Dallas Cowboys. March 20th, 1934. Now, we've spoken about how good Ash Barty is at numerous sports, but American all-round female super athlete Babe Didrikson Zaharias leaves Ash in her dust. Great name, too. It is a great name. Zaharias won two gold medals and a silver at the 1932 Olympics, breaking the world record in the 80-metre hurdles, winning the javelin with an Olympic record, and then won silver in the high jump, breaking the world record, but being given silver as she was ruled in the jump off to have used an improper technique. Uh, what a 1932-sounding rule. Frosby flop. It was probably pre-Frosby yeah, flop. Yeah, probably was, yeah. To this day, she's the only athlete, male or female, to medal in running, throwing, and jumping events at the Olympics. Wow. She also won 41 LPGA titles in golf, including 10 major championships, including seven after being diagnosed with colon cancer. Wow. She even won the 1954 US Women's Open while wearing a colostomy bag. Wow. How impressive is that? So speaking of goats, we have a candidate. Absolutely. She passed away in 1956, still ranked the number one golfer in the world. Wow. She's in the Golfing Hall of Fame. She's a six-time Associated Press Female Athlete of the Year. And it said that she was as proficient at swimming, boxing, tennis, and basketball as she was at track. Doesn't surprise me. But getting back to the on this day, on the 20th of March, 1934, she pitched for the Philadelphia A's in their preseason exhibition game against the Brooklyn Dodgers and threw a hitless inning. Wow. Wow. She gave up just one walk. Five days later, she threw two hitless innings for the New Orleans Pelicans, not the basketball team. Uh, against the Cleveland Indians. And to top it all off, she holds the world record for the longest baseball throw by a woman of 296 feet. Absolutely the greatest female athlete of all time. Yeah, and well, probably to argue. And probably athlete. pretty close to yeah. all time for everyone. Gee, Absolutely amazing. Hats off. Mm-hmm. This week in sport history. So, Stewie, it's hard to believe, but the blokes AFL season is right around the corner. It will, like, first game probably would have been played around the time when we upload this episode. I can't wait. Jeez, (laughs) I can't wait. Starting fresh with Richmond level with everyone is very exciting. Yes, yep. By the way, though, Stewie, they lost two of their first four games and they had a draw there too. So they were 1-1-2 and to start the season last season. Which makes it even more annoying that they won. It does, it does, yeah. (laughs) 
But look, before we get into some of our predictions for the season. Yeah, sadly, the questions that I posed are the same ones that Maddie Lloyd mentioned on Footy Classified last night. And, and that is really frustrating. Something I want to really <laughs> get off my chest. It is amazing how often we will record on a Tuesday night or previously on a Monday night. And the very next day, something will pop up on Fox Sports News or ESPN or Footy Classified. And it's the same thing that we've discussed the night before. Yeah, and I sit yeah. there and I think people are just going to think that we've pinched this. Yeah, yeah, they will. I mean, look, it's not unusual, the questions that I pose to you. It's not dissimilar to what I've heard before. But, but we've had I, didn't, some... I didn't know it was going to come up tomorrow yeah. night on 40 Classified. So, But that hasn't aired yet. So we're not we're definitely not copying their picks because we haven't heard their picks yet. But, but yeah, the Nathan Sobey thing yeah. with the boomers. We've had some big revelations that have just... Even the Lamarcus Aldridge thing hit news.com today. You, I couldn't believe. Yep. Must have been a slow news day in the sports yep. world for the, to hit the Australian news. Gee. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Shuey again. Everyone's doing it. But who are our risers and fallers for this season? And look, I got to say, last season was the most footy I've watched in a long time. And I'm still really struggling to predict how the ladder's going to look. It's tough. It's really tough. It is. Well, as you mentioned earlier, the tipping's. You know, it's it's not for the faint heart. No, no, I reckon we should do the tipping this year and we can kind of rib each other and see how our progress goes. We I'm, might have to look at that over the... I'll uh, just try and pick losers and I'll probably end up winning the whole bloody <laughs> thing. Well, so. you know, picking losers is not different to picking winners, really, when you think about it, is mm, it? True. Yeah. Well, I suppose we'll start off with the risers then, Nate. So who have you got rising up the ladder? Well, it's, it's interesting because a couple of days ago, I would have said Gold Coast at a lock. Because they've got all those great young players. They were looking really good to start last season. So they actually won three of their first four games last season before Matty Rao got injured. But apparently they've been really shit in the preseason. Mm, yeah, preseason as so, you said, doesn't, doesn't always mean much. But. Yeah, so... And I also would have considered Frio as well, but they've had those big injuries to Rory Lobb and, and uh, Sonny as well. So that's actually a really tough one. I think Sydney have the potential to rise as well mm-hmm. to kind of sit around that seventh to tenth spot. I'll say Gold Coast with okay. no confidence. Okay. With no confidence. Interesting. There you go. I've gone for the Western Bulldogs. So I think they're going to be pushing for a top four finish this year. Now, Jamara Eugle Hagen looks set to be a very exciting rookie. They've got three massive pickups in Stefan Martin, Adam Trelaw, and Mitch Hannon. This was a list that already looked really good on paper last year. They were capable of beating anyone on any given day. Do you know, the only issue I have with this side is goal kicking in mm. terms of where it's going to come from. If you look at last season's goal kicking tally, Mitch Wallace was the only dog that kicked more than 15 goals. He had 25. He had a great season. But Richmond had four guys with more than 15. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Geelong had five. Yeah. Brisbane had three. West Coast had four. St Kilda had three. Port Adelaide only had one, but it was Charlie Dixon who had 34. So he's obviously kicking a lot more than what Mitch Wallace did. So mm. that's probably the big issue. And I'd, I'd like to see Marcus Bontempelli kick a lot more goals coming through that midfield. Yeah. So, well, with Trelaw there, they have the opportunity to play him forward a little bit more. And I must admit, I didn't even consider teams that finished in the top eight for the risers. I, I agree with you. I think the Dogs could very well finish in the top four. There's a very good chance of that. Mm. Yeah, they finished seventh last year, had that great final against St Kilda. Who have you got as the fallers, Stewie? Well, the first one's a pretty obvious one for me, GWS. Ah, uh, yes, okay. Well, they finished 10th, but yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, they... They'll probably drop down to 15th or 16th. I mean, their injury list is huge. You look at guys like Braden Proust, 12 to 16 weeks out. Adam Kennedy, 12 to 16 weeks. Daniel Lloyd, 8 to 10 weeks. So they've got a lot of these big numbers on their injuries. And, and then Cameron left, Williams left. They've got a lot of yeah. guys there. Lockie Whitfield's not 100% at the moment, so... There's a lot of big ifs on GWS and they could very easily fall rapidly down towards the bottom of the ladder. And the other team I had was Collingwood. They had a shocking off season. I think the loss of Adam Trelaw, Jaden Stevenson, and one not many people are talking about, Tom Phillips. Going to be a lot bigger than the Pies would probably imagine. I can easily see them dropping from 8th down to 12th. I'll come back to Collingwood. I just have a bit of a gut feeling that Brisbane might come down a little bit. Like, I still think they'll be bloody good and I still think they'll be contending. But they won't have the benefit of lots of home games and they still have a fairly young team and they have the burden of expectation. So I still expect Brisbane to be bloody good, but I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped down to fifth, say. I think a lot of that is going to come down to the ruck because if you look at obviously the fact that Stefan Martin has now moved on to go and play with the Bulldogs, they've really kind of done what Richmond have done and they're putting all their eggs in that one basket with Oscar McInerney. Mm. 
So if McInerney goes down... And if Joey Danaher gets injured... Well, when Joey... You know, yeah, no, no, yeah. I shouldn't say that. But no, I mean, Dan- well, Danaher is obviously a decent backup ruckman, decent-ish. Yeah, he could pinch it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but if he's you know, having to do the, the rucking for six straight weeks, the likelihood of him getting injured goes through the roof. Yeah. So, yep. so no, I, I can understand where you're coming from with that. I found that run really tough, though. Yeah, mm. really tough. Who's your Brownlow pick, Joey? I mean, how do you go past a repeat from Lockie Neal? It's... It's a very safe bet. He's a ball magnet. His team's probably going to be awesome. They do have a good ruckman. I just mentioned Oscar McInerney. Matt Rowell's probably my smoky though. Yeah, he looked so good last year. Yeah, and it's so probably good. probably not even much of a smoky really. Considering. Well, no, no. I imagine I haven't looked at the odds, but I imagine he'd be favoured. He's paying about seventeen dollars actually. Oh, okay, okay. Which I thought was quite impressive. Okay, what's what's Christian Petrarca paying? About thirteen, I think he was. I think I'll pick him. I think the Brownlows often goes to a guy that kind of sits around the middle of the pack because there's less players to steal votes from him. <coughs> Nat Fife. Well, well, maybe a little, yeah. Yeah, he's a magnificent player, though. There's no doubting his skill. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'll, I'll say Christian Petrarca a nose ahead of Raul, kind of on the basis that there's less blokes to steal votes from him. Yeah. Oh, yep. Fair call. Yeah, although I agree with you. I do think Melbourne will struggle to make the finals. Hmm. Yeah. Goal kickers, who's your Coleman? I wanted to say Tom Hawkins, but I think Jeremy Cameron might cancel him out a little bit. I think it's going to be a battle between Charlie Dixon and Tom Lynch, but if I had to pick, I'd say Lynch because he's a bit more consistent. But don't discount Jack Darling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be a really key focal point of the Eagles forward line. You know, Josh Kennedy's another year older, so he's probably taking a bit of a step back. Tim Kelly will not be as bad as he was last year. It's unlikely. So he's probably going to get a lot better service coming through that midfield. So... Yeah, I think Darling's my smoky, but I'd probably go with Lynch at this stage. The Eagles are one of those older teams kind of in win-now mode along with Geelong and, well, you could probably say Richmond, but they just have these young guys like Shea Bolton, who's only like, what, 21 or 22 they've or something? They've got a scary young yeah, list. Yeah, they've, they've done a very good job of well, list I mean, management. Jake Hartz, Mabor Chol, yeah, yeah. Derek Egmoles-Smith. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, the list goes on and on. I think the thing that always works in West Coast favour is they're very good at home. So you could probably almost guarantee, what, eight wins at least at home, which is almost a guaranteed finals berth. So if they do even reasonable on the road, they will absolutely be vying for a top four spot. Yeah, I think Darling's a decent pick. So who have you got? I want to go with Charlie Dixon. Okay. And that's because it leads to my next pick. I'm going to pick Port for the Premiership again. Oh, doubling, I want to do it. Doubling down on I want to like do it. it. They recruited well. They got like Alir Alir is a great pickup for them, for example. True. They picked up a, a number of good guys in the offseason. So I'll go with the Dixon Port double on the Coleman Premiership. Dixon Port, that sounds like a tasty drop, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, so that's my tip, Stewie. Who you got getting the silverware this year? Sadly, I think it's going to be Richmond again. No, I say it ain't so. Mm. Look, Jack Higgins and Olive Markov, they're big losses. And if Toby Nankervis gets injured, it could absolutely derail them. But that guy is a warrior. He just doesn't get hurt. Does the uh, Damien Hardwick bonking the staff member derail them any? any I think? mean, as long as they're not bonking in the midfield while the game's on, there's a fair lot. Well, yeah, it, but off-field stuff can affect on-field stuff, which is will lead to my bold prediction in a sec. Oh, look, I, they, I, mean, I mean, they gave him a new three-year contract, so clearly they didn't bother too much about it. Look, at but, the end of the day, Dim is a dick, but he's a good coach. Yeah, yeah. And, and he has the respect of the players, and I and I think they'll be fine. I think we actually might get a replay of last year's grand final. I, I think Geelong will get a lot closer than they did last year, but I think the result will be the same. Oh, that, well, it's a great game. It was a great game, that grand final. No, so I'd, I'd be very happy with that. I if think that... it'll be even closer, but, yeah, okay. I, but I still think, I think, I think the Tigers still get over the line unfortunately. So as I mentioned with that off-field stuff, my bold prediction, Collingwood will definitely miss the finals. No, look, I agree with you entirely. I I honestly do think that Collingwood will drop down quite considerably. I I wouldn't be surprised if they finish 12th. And they have side bottom injured as well on top of all the off-field stuff. They've lost Trelaw. I think it could be a lean year for the Pies. I think it could be. Yeah. Your bold prediction, Stewie? I've got a couple. Oh, okay. Fremantle to finish within a couple of spots of West Coast. I, Interesting. I could conceivably have seen them finishing above West Coast had it not been for Rory yeah, Mobb's injury. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a that's a big injury. Yeah, it is, it is. But I think if West Coast finished, say, fifth or sixth, I think the Dockers might be 
a spot or two behind them. Oh, the Dockers will be very disappointed if they don't make the eight this year. I, definitely. I really like their team. I like the balance of their team. They finally got rid of Jesse Hogan. They've got another year of the same team under a coach that clearly works for them. All those injured defenders will be coming back to actually play. Exactly. I, I think Freer could easily finish seventh this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. a lot of people have them more around the ninth and tenth, but I think they'll play finals footy this year, barring... Yeah, disastrous well, injury. Again, basically. I think it's anything short of that is a disappointment. Yep. And the other one, I think this bullshit man on the mark rule will be back to normal before the buy round. Oh, God. Well, yeah, rule changes. All right, Nathan, you know what that music <laughs> means. What are you out for? Oh, uh, well, Stewie, I'll be tired as after getting no sleep tonight and the move tomorrow, but I am looking forward to the basketball quiz we'll be going to tomorrow. We'll see if we can put our money where our mouth is. What about yourself? Well, look, after the debacle around the Kabaddi World Cup, I'm pretty excited to get my diary out and put the dates in so that I don't miss next year's because that was really disappointing. And yeah, obviously very excited, though, to go to this quiz tomorrow and pit our minds against those other super fans around Perth. Let's see if Ginger is right about us not being worthy of the title Sport Blokes. Mm. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. <laughs>